We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello there, and welcome to the Finding Peace Podcast. It is my honor and privilege to introduce to you a brilliant man, Dr. Daryl L. Jones. Dr. Jones was born in Battle Creek, Michigan, and earned his undergraduate degree from Michigan State University, where he pledged Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. He went on to earn his MBA from DePaul University and his doctorate from Case Western University. He owns and operates his own consulting firm, specializing in organizational development, DE&I, and culture. He is passionate about racial justice, history, and cultural authenticity. And he is one of the two amazing voices on the Conscious Vibe podcast, which I hope you go check out, where they talk about some amazing things like race, politics, business, and culture. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Jones. Well, tell me a little bit about you and and let's start with that. So, you know, Charles and I started uh, our podcast, The Conscious Vibe, about, um, this is our third season. And literally, uh, he and I were introduced through a mutual fraternity brother, um, November of 2019, just pre-COVID. And we started spending some time together. I was with him and his family and he'd come over and, you know, one day I said, hey man, we should just do a podcast. And um, he didn't cozy up to it right away, Troy. (laughs) It could have been the the tequila, but um, I hit him again with it a few months later. And I could tell he was there. So I got everything set up. He showed up to the studio and we did our first recording. So um, he and I have been working on the Conscious Five now two and a half years. Well, we're in our third season. So um, it's been a joy. I spent my career as an executive uh, at Nike, primarily. Um, 2018, completed my doctorate. I left Nike in 2015, taught some college. And now I do uh, organizational consulting uh, here in Arizona with with my own company. So I help companies work through crisis, um, organizational culture issues, and things like that. What kind of crises are companies dealing with nowadays? A lot of it has to do with employee morale, mm-hmm. especially post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it has to do with self-identities on the individual level because folks emerged out of COVID just really unsure about their path in life, how they were going to make money, et cetera. And then that bleeds into the workplace. You know, we, we bring our personal lives as much as we try not to into the workplace. And then honestly, just good old-fashioned poor leadership sometimes, Troy. We operate with internal crisis that we bring into an organization and unwittingly um, lay that on other people. Right. What are the effects that that has on the organization when you see that happen? 
um, oftentimes in its worst case, the organization actually comes to an end. Um, best case scenario is you learn from it with minimal damage, but rarely do we see that. You know, when we think about organizational crisis, uh, one of the things that I learned is that it's a process, Troy. It's not an event. We tend to say crisis was an event. The event that we experience is typically as a result of crisis. So we're operating in crisis and it manifests in the form of an event. Yeah, because they weren't preparing for it. They hadn't set up the culture to deal with it. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's that. It's we bring our personal lives into a professional environment. Sometimes it's strategy. Sometimes it's poor communication, lack of talent, uh, misalignment. But oftentimes it's uh, some of the personal characteristics and traits that we harbor that we haven't dealt with. But then we're put in positions of leadership and managing people unlike us. Right. And we haven't even learned to love ourselves, let alone people who we're dealing with. That is such a that is such a hard concept. We talk about that a lot on the podcast of learning how to love ourselves. I noticed that. What is so important from the business world of knowing how to love yourself? What's the impact that that would have? You know, honestly, Troy, I think it's just a matter of we don't lose our human characteristics when we enter into a workplace. We don't turn into robots, right? No. So we have to exercise that same love and care and engagement that we do in our quote unquote personal lives as we do in the workplace. Now it may show up differently. You know, we're not hugging and kissing in the, in the workplace, hopefully, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we still need to be really cognizant that, you know, people have feelings and operate with emotion. Right. And at the same time, we're charged with managing emotional intelligence. We're oftentimes dealing with people who here in 2022, have had a lot to deal with over the past couple of years. Right. Social injustice, COVID, health problems, economy, gas, all this stuff. It'd be great if we just kind of shook that and walked in the door, but we don't. People say, leave your personal problems at home, but I don't know how anybody actually does that. You know, I think potentially, you know, generationally, me growing up, I was typically like a 70s child. That was a big part of what we were taught to do. Mm -hmm. And some of that, you know, is a cultural thing as well. But um, I don't know if I thought it was easier then or not. I, I really can't say because I'm not, you know, a, a 2020 child. Right. But um, it became something that was almost like an armor that we carried into young adulthood and adulthood. And I don't know if that's tougher, easier today. I, I really don't know. But that can be very stressful as well. Um, and we might not ever know how stressful it is until later in life. Right. Um, you know, Troy, we had uh, on our show a uh, psychologist. And she had her PhD from Baylor, and now she's with the Harvard Institute of Flourishing. And she talks about parent-child relationships and some of the inhibitors to flourishing, optimizing our personal potential emotional, physical, spiritual, economic. And it's amazing how things that we don't manage or elect to shift 
that are a function of parent-child relationships affect us later as adults. We, we, we go to our grave not realizing why we were how we were. Right. Um, and she talked a lot about that and uh, it's something I've really taken to heart. Can you say, can you define what human flourishing means? Simply put, it is the journey to optimizing self-actualization. Hmm. So I distinguish it from happiness in a way, Troy, that happiness is a temporary feeling, mm -hmm. right? And it's a feeling. It's not necessarily a journey. So um, a drug addict may experience fleeting happiness. It's hard for a drug addict to really ever flourish. Mm -hmm. That's part of the distinction. Um, it's that optimization of your human potential. What kind of things prevent or make it harder for somebody to flourish from your perspective? You ask some great questions, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that. Um, sometimes it's childhood and the fact that things that we try to brush off about our own personalities are things that we really need to get to the root of and deal with. Um, if we don't, we tend to enter into relationships that support those voids mm -hmm. as opposed to relationships that challenge us and allow us to break free of those chains. So I think it's um, a constant realization that we're on a journey we need to develop critical skills and we need to understand the true factors involved in emotional intelligence and, and work to achieve a sustainable level of emotional intelligence that allows us to optimize ourselves. When you are working, let's say, with a CEO or an executive who doesn't have a lot of emotional intelligence, how do you handle that? What do you do as a coach, as a <laughs> consultant? If I'm on a year-long contract, I give it six months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have some past clients who can tell you. He's, he, I'm not lying. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, honestly, it's tough for me to come into any organization, even though I can typically make a pretty quick assessment when I've talked to enough employees. Troy, I still don't want to be that guy that comes in and kind of lays down the law. So I start with an assessment hmm. and I allow uh, folks in the organization to express themselves on seven dimensions of culture. Hmm. Things like authenticity, transparency, respect, voice, opportunity, et cetera. Once they've come back, basically those responses will fall into one of four buckets strength, weakness, opportunity, or threat for the organization. Mm -hmm. That's what I then go back to the CEO with mm -hmm. and say, let's talk through this. And when you talk about lower levels of emotional intelligence, that's really when it manifests because there's a lot of excuses for why things are what they are, right? Mm -hmm. And so the point I try to make is, you know, we can probably work through a lot of this in our heads, but the point is this is where people are. Right. And until you can solve some of this, and most of this, you won't see the results that you think you should see. Right. On a percentage wise, how many, how many are open, even if they don't have a lot of emotional intelligence, how many are open to learning and how many just are thinking that this is stupid? Well, I tell you what, Troy, I've, I've been, um, 
very disappointed and very inspired in the same day by clients that I've dealt with. Right. Um, you know, and in their defense, I'll be really honest with you. Some of this, I had five clients coming right out of COVID. Mm. Everybody was struggling, right? They've got personal things that they're dealing with, et cetera. So I wouldn't want to cast a brand on anyone coming out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, what I would say is I remain optimistic that most of these leaders want to do well by all of their organizational members, but I have definitely been disappointed and left clients. Mm, that's really sad. It, you know, it's, it's the reality that we live in. And, um, you know, you hope at some point the things you've left them with come around because what I don't want to do is become a branding piece. You know, we went through Dalmar Consulting's exercises and practices, and now I'm branded on the website. Mm-hmm. They truly haven't done the work that's required to transform the organization. So it's best for us to just park. Mm. And just walking away, right? Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about what constitutes human crisis mode? I can. So when we enter into an organization, and I'll speak from an organizational perspective and then more from a personal perspective, you know, we're laced with their values and um, norms and practices and espoused values in a really idealistic way. Over time, we realize espoused and reality might be two different things. So we spend time trying to bridge the gap between the two. Our ability or inability to deal with that can often lead to crisis. Mm -hmm. Are we able to reconcile those two polarized, oftentimes polarized cultures that exist? Um, The other thing that happens is this whole thing around uh, idolatry where we tend to idolize folks in the organization that shouldn't be. Mm. But we get into a zone where we've sort of, you know, hitched our wagons to them. And now we have to really figure out our loyalties to our personal values, organizational values, or human beings who quote unquote supported us. So reconciling all of that can also lead to and then, you know, lastly, I think one of the things that's really critical is when we talk about it from a personal perspective, you know, Troy, if we aren't living our authentic selves, we're operating with competing self-identities. So if I have to show up to work differently than I show up at home, then I show up at church, then I show up at, I'm always having to reconcile these competing identities as opposed to operating with a singular identity of who I am and not having to code shift in a new environment because that can also be really taxing emotionally. Right. Like living compartmentally instead of fully. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I'm not here to at all suggest that we all don't shift some aspects of our personality or have a chameleon-like presence at times. I don't think that's bad. 
we should be able to operate in many different rooms. But at the core of who we are and our value system, when that gets compromised, that's when crisis can set in. And that, that's a very big culprit because I wasn't looking for. So what I did, Troy, when I entered into the, the doctoral program, the great, great thing about Case Western is they force you to chart your own path. Mm-hmm. They don't hand you and say, hey, you need to figure out in um, 10 years what the state of the economy will be based on past performance. No. What do you want to contribute to the world? Mm. And you spend your journey figuring that out, doing the research, et cetera. So one of the things I was just intrigued with is why is there incessant organizational crisis in sports organizations? I wasn't looking for self-preservation. It never entered my mind. I was thinking strategy, talent, communication, performance, and came to discover that 33% of the time, and this is through my own research, organization, organizational crisis was a function of self-preservation, individual self-preservation. This emerged from the research. It was not something I was uh, looking for or a data point that I'd even thought existed. So fortunately, the way the program is structured, we're open to whatever comes our way but we're still going down this path. And that's sort of how I think life should be lived. Have your value system and operate, but be open to the truth when it comes your way. And, and I think that's also another way to avoid crisis is the ability to deal with you know reality and truth. So your research was basically saying that 33% of the time, uh, like a, an executive or somebody who has decisions to make refuses or is unwilling to make the decisions for the health of the organization because they're trying to save their own job. Yeah. It's not a bad strategy. It's not like we don't have the talent. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're off 13% for Q1 and we're disappointing shareholders. That's not the issue. It's exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. And again, my um, study was specifically in the zone of uh, sport. And I looked at it from a global perspective. Um, and there's so many stories you can think of. They, they leave as fast as they come. But I was really, really, after 20 years, really curious as to why the, and actually they just started to, to mount. Mm-hmm. And the more I started to understand human behavior and the more I looked into that and not necessarily organizational dynamics, the more the answers came that we're still individuals and we're not robots when we enter into the organization. Oftentimes we seek praise. We seek validation because we aren't as confident as we think we are. And some of the greatest leaders in the world still operate in self-preservation, but they found a way to navigate an environment that supports that. This is in the, the microcosm of crisis. So I'm not suggesting that every, um, problem is crisis because crisis is its own animal. But um, it's also a process. It's practices, norms, behaviors. It turns into culture. Mm -hmm. Then the most rightly guided folks in the world enter into this culture and have some really, really tough decisions to make. Mm. You worked for Nike for a long time. And it sounds like part of your, um, 
this was part of your evolution. What made you finally decide to walk away from what I would imagine was a really successful career to do this? It, it was. Um, you know, it had its peaks and valleys like any other career, but quite honestly, operating with a sense of purpose and wanting to add value and not just be, um, have my legacy be that of a Nike guy. Mm. Uh, Nike served me well and no complaints. But I wasn't put on this earth to be a Nike guy. Mm. That was part of my journey. You you said that at Case Western helped you kind of define your purpose. So what is your purpose? Yeah, I my purpose today is to continue to operate in a liberated mode that allows me to achieve self-actualization so I can do the same for others. That is amazing. It's really that simple for me, Troy. I, I have to be able to self-actualize and operate in a liberated way in order to empower others to do the same. And that's really why I, I feel I'm here. Say more about liberated. So I'll speak very candidly about this. Um, you know, I was, uh, to your point, you know, financially, it was a very lucrative career. But around that 2015 time frame, I started working very closely with a financial uh, advisor. And he said to me, he said, you know, you're at a point now where if this is the quality of life you want, um, you don't plan on any major life changes. Um, or even if you do, you don't have to work. We can package everything in a way where you have an, an annuity that's coming from your bank. <laughs> um, and you don't have to depend on anyone else for you to live. Mm. And that changed my life. And I was working towards that, but actually when we hearing him say we're at that point, sort of shifted me from, okay, dude, if you really aren't about the money and, and you've achieved some financial liberation, are you really ready to make the move? And fortunately I was, Troy. Hmm. So there were some things that happened in the organization that I wasn't necessarily a big fan of, um, but they don't build those things around me. That's fine. Um, Case Western presented itself. I could start school in the fall. And it just lined up. And I said, you know what? This is my last day. And literally, I wasn't planning to leave that day. Mm. And that was the last time I was at uh, Nike's headquarters. Wow. And, and no hard feelings. I've met some wonderful people. And obviously, it helped me get to a point where I was financially liberated. But honestly, Troy, that was the key for me, is to not have to feel like somebody's paying my bills. To be able to walk out of those doors without fear. 100%. And that's so critical. So you ask me, what does it mean to operate in crisis and self-preservation? It's operating from a place of fear. Yeah. And I had to test myself on all of this. I'm like, dude, you know what? What do you want out of life? And if you keep talking about this, do you want to be the example that you talk about? Or this dude on the side pointing at everybody else who did it? Mm. And um, 
stepped out on, you know, faith, confidence, and a financial plan that allowed me to one month later enter into uh, the journey at, at Case Western. What an incredible story, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, man. It, you know, there were some, I woke up the next day thinking, man, am I really not ever going to work in corporate and meet? Like, is this for real? Because I was in my 40s and I was like, well, this is what you've been working for, man. This is why you worked hard and smart. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll be real with you, Troy. I didn't have any, uh, you know, alimony, child support. That mattered. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting married, you know, afterwards yeah. with a prenuptial agreement. I'll just be very clear with you. <laughs> so, Congratulations. But, um, not that I needed it with her, but, um, you, you know, you have to engage your intellect later in life, right? Love is love. Mm-hmm. But there's also a business aspect to it that you have to manage if you don't want to work again. Absolutely. So now what I do, I love, you know, I have the podcast and I do consulting. And honestly, Troy, I really don't look at it as work because I enjoy it. That's, you know, they say that when you love what you do, you don't call it work. And I didn't, when I was working, I didn't necessarily agree with that. Now I see what they mean. Mm. Tell me the vision that you had for the podcast and what it's been like doing it. Well, and thank you for asking about it. It's um, the vision we had was to have really conscious intellectual conversations about topics that matter. And it really started that way. We weren't sure what was going to happen. Uh, neither of us had done this before. We both done major public speaking and things like that. But a podcast is a lot different as you can attest. To. Yes. Um, So our vision was to create a platform for folks who are uh, leaders in their own right, in their own field, and some who've failed. And I'll talk about failure later, what I think it is. Mm. Um, And have them talk about their journeys. And if we can inspire other people through that, that that was our goal. I think it's morphed into a platform of empowerment. Mm. And we really think it's critical to empower people to optimize their potential. Mm. And so here in this third year, we're spending uh, even more time with folks who are in that zone Mm. of what does it mean to operate from a a locus of control where you're managing your outcomes Mm. and you're accountable and you're flourishing. So we're spending year three in that zone, and that tends to sort of be the theme, whether we design it that way or not. Um, But, we know, Charles and I both feel like we have a lot to offer, and we want to offer it, but we still have a lot to learn. So there's that aspect of it, too, in year three. We learn something from every single uh, guest that we have on and hopefully impart some wisdom to our audience at the same time. What has the podcast, The Conscious Vibe, How has that impacted you personally? You know, I think it's allowed me to uh, tap into dimensions of my personality that when you aren't asking a lot of questions of other people, you don't have to. Mm. Um, There's some self-discovery that happens. Folks ask you questions that even though you're supposed to be interviewing them, and um, 
I think it's a combination of the podcast, but also now I'm accountable to myself and not a team of 300 people that are going to watch it the next day and say, what the hell did you mean when you said that? (laughs) Or a boss, what the hell did you mean? I'm accountable to me. Mm. And I think that combination of the format of a podcast and that characteristic um, has brought out some things in, in my personality that I think already existed, Troy, but I didn't necessarily feel compelled to share. Hmm. It opened that up for you. Yeah, it, it did. It did. And I think it's been fantastic. Um, you know, I get calls from friends that said, hey, I didn't know. Some didn't know I was ever married. Mm. But I'm I'm um I'm an introvert by nature. Mm. I operate in extroversion in spurts. Right. Isn't it exhausting? Not my personality. I don't like crowds. I don't <laughs> so exhausting. I'm right there with you on that. Yeah, man. So so it's it's opened up that vessel of expression for me. Mm. And, you know, I probably operated under a little bit of the premise that who cares? Mm-hmm. But now it feels like people care. So I'm probably more inclined to share. So maybe a little bit uh, cathartic. I think they care because you are letting you out a little bit. Yeah. They, you, they care about you. Absolutely. And you have to let people do that. Be vulnerable enough to let people do that. Right. And that's part of the journey of life as well as I get older and you start to say, Hey, I guess I am on the back half of this deal. Uh, you just don't look at things the same way. Right. And that's how it should be. Yeah. So Patrick Lencioni, he's a, he's a, he's an author. He's done a lot of things about organizational development. And one of the activities that he often has executives do is talk about their biggest mistake. And you brought that up a little bit and he talks a lot about people balk at that. They don't want to talk about their biggest mistake. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. But why is that such an important topic to talk about? Well, I think, you know, honestly, we have to embrace the full journey of life. And a mistake to me is something that wasn't intentional. Hmm. And it's okay for there to be negative outcomes or outcomes that you didn't desire as a result of some of your actions. If you operated with good intention, now you don't want to make the same mistake two and three times. Hmm. That's part of the journey as well. And it also allows you to have a platform to learn. Now you don't want to be that guy that just continually runs around making mistakes, but at the same time, it's okay to embrace it when you do. Because it's part of our journey in life. And I, I've shared on one of my shows with Charles. I uh, it may not seem like a big deal, but I thought my life was over. Hmm. I was in a corporate setting. And Troy, I had worked. I was with Kraft General Foods prior to Nike. And I uh, sold Maxwell House coffee to major institutions, hospitals, hotels, airlines. And... Um, I'd gotten all of our distributor salespeople to come into a hotel presentation where I was presenting this new coffee machine. And it allowed us to enter into places where we couldn't have gotten before because our competitors had it on lock. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we're all in this room. Presentation went well. I had a stack of leads that was probably this high, and I'm not exaggerating. In short, next to that, I had a stack of blank leads that weren't filled out. But guess which ones I threw away? Which ones? That had all the leads on filled out. So I put them in the recycling bin. On accident. It very much on accident. Dang, man. (laughs) So I went home. I still had the stack right in a folder that was blank. I didn't know it was blank. Man, I'm having the greatest weekend. You know, I'm taking my girlfriend out where Troy on Sunday night, I pulled out the folder. Have you ever seen The Shining? Yeah. Do you remember when all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and she's going through and everyone says, I was going through and everyone was blank. Man, I lost it. I I drove over to the hotel. They said, man, man no, nah, we'll never find it. And I had to go back to my boss. I had to go back to the, the guy who owned the distributing company. And it was one of the biggest mm. mistakes I ever made. And I thought I was done. Mm. I was able to recoup probably 85, 90% of the leads, but I operated with egg on my face for quite some time. Oh man, that's so cool. I tell that story, right? And it's, um, <laughs> it allows other people to realize it's okay. Mm. And you can recover, but just don't let it happen again. So trust and believe that never happened again. Right, that's what wisdom is, right? You that's learn. exactly right. You learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's a part of our journey, man. And it happens in our personal lives, too, where we think somebody's thinking something. So we, you know, take a turn and um, mistakes are OK. Uh, I'd say once, maybe twice. But let's not be known as the mistake guy. Right. I'm curious about the picture behind you. Yeah. Oh, good old James Baldwin, if you're familiar with him. I'm not. Okay. So, yeah, James Baldwin, this is, uh, he's the author of Another Country, um, amongst other books. And I, you know, in short, he's a freedom fighter. Mm. And he has been one for um, racial justice, social justice, um, when when he was with us. And he was truly a freedom fighter who operated, we talk about no fear. And the ability to articulate his perspective, unlike any person I've ever seen in my life. So he was an inspiration for me growing up in terms of his ability to form a thought and articulate and respond to intellect and ignorance Hmm. in the same way. Sounds like I need to learn more about him. Well, (laughs) potentially. I'll I'll send you, um, again, it's James Baldwin. And he, um, there was a documentary done uh, about him, but he's got a number of books, but I'll make sure I get some of the books to you, but I would love to read it, man. Um, he's a great man. I particularly, I would love for you to watch. Was it Oxford? I think he addressed the student body at Oxford, um, on the show. And it was incredible the way he handled the discourse, uh, back and forth, an amazing man. I definitely going to be googling him. Okay, so I think it was Oxford. I, I'm, I'll, I'll make sure I uh, share with you what it, what it was. Well, thank you. That's yeah. amazing. So one of the things I do with a guest is I do a 
speed round question. It's not really speed round. It just asks you a ton of questions, right? Okay. One after the yep. other. So you can take your time. <clears throat> what is one thing about you that surprises people? That I uh, mix music. I'm a DJ. Are you really? What kind of music do you mix? See, see how surprised you were? Yeah, that's awesome, though. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, Hip-hop, R&B, I fuse Led Zeppelin and Too Short, um, Gary Wright and Future. Um, so I'm all over the place. I love music. Uh, I love Steely Dan as much as I do Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on music. Between my mom and my grandmother, he were music heads. And then I had my own journey on music uh, when I was young. So I love a lot of music. And when I was in New York around 2012, 2013, I um, asked this guy who ran a lounge if I could DJ for free. Mm. And I bought some equipment, started messing around. And he said, man, who are you? I said, well, you don't know me, but I'm a, I'm a really good DJ. You know? So, <laughs> and he gave me a shot, man. And I I loved it. You know, I think it was every Wednesday and Thursday night, and that became Thursday and Friday night. You know, I got some positive feedback. A lot of Europeans stayed at this hotel. It was a lounge. Yeah. And um, I picked it up there, man. Started loving it. Recently bought all new equipment. And um, I haven't found a venue yet that I would call my DJ home, Mm. but um, I spend probably at least three hours a day mixing music. That sounds so fun. Yeah, man. I love it. It's it's, it's addictive. It really is. I know it's hard to do this, but top artist, your favorite artist? Patrice Russia. It's not that hard. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the song Forget Me Nots or Remind Me? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was in love with her as a child. I'm still in love with her. Oh. Um, she's fascinating. She played most of her uh, instruments as well as sang. Uh, went to Berkeley in Boston. I think she might still teach there. She's composed award shows, et cetera. Just extremely talented uh, woman uh, and beautiful inside and out. I love her music. Mm-hmm. What book are you reading right now? Um, I am reading a book by Francis Cress Wellesley. And what the book talks about, it's called the ISIS Papers. It talks a lot about symbolism and imagery. It's my third time reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learn something new every time I read it, Troy. So it talks about even on the back of a dollar bill, what all of the symbolism actually means. Mm. And in short, a lot of it goes back to Africa. And a lot of that culture has been lost here in the Western world. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about the attachment to Christianity and mythological African culture and that sort of thing. And this is a book that, discusses a lot of things that don't get discussed here in the Western world. So I force myself and it's not really forcing because I love it. She's no longer with us, but um, I go back to it ever so often just to remind myself a lot about our culture in Africa and um, 
why we should feel good about that. That's amazing. Being connected to heritage and culture, I think, is something we are definitely missing in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. When have you felt the most alive? Recently, either on the golf course, (laughs) when I hit one of my rare great shots, Mm. or when I find two beats that I'm like, man, I had no idea this was going to sound like this. Mm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it it may sound simple, man, but that's it. Yeah. And and then honestly, when I'm with family and friends, I, uh, I just went back to uh, Portland. One of my closest friends, he's like a brother to me. His son graduated from high school and he's going on to Berkeley studying film and playing football. And I was really in my element back there with my folks. You know, I used to live in Portland, but I don't see them as much anymore. And it was just a great time seeing his son move through life and seeing the product that they raised and just seeing them happy. Mm-hmm. And also seeing the, seeing him, my buddy, wonder, man, what's life going to be like now that my son's not here? Mm-hmm. And his, the shift in his self-identity as, yeah, he's a dad, but, yep. you know, not a dad in the house now. So New chapter in life. Absolutely. So those moments, you know, close family and friends, mixing my music, and then when I strike the heck out of the ball on the golf course. Mm-hmm. I have a buddy who says when he he hits that swing just perfect, it's better than sex. I didn't want to add that one, Troy, but you know, I don't know if you're trying to bait me or not. You got my three, okay? I'm, I'm, I don't know what kind of show you try. Put a little PG in the front. Well, um, yeah, so I'll leave it. I'll leave it at three. You asked me before, you know, but. If you were going to spend the rest of your life on an island and could only bring one item of personal value, what would you bring? Mm. Probably my stereo equipment, my mixing equipment. That music. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean from the time I was a kid. Um, <laughs> you know, it. Uh, a lot of it had to do with being an only child, Troy. I didn't. I didn't get inspiration from older brothers, younger sisters, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I had a cousin I was very close to, but for a lot of my childhood, he and I were in different cities. Um, I was inspired by music. Mm-hmm. And the words from music crystallized for me at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to it unobstructed. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like there was a bunch of noise in the house and then the Isley brothers are in the background. No. I was listening to every word they were saying and it inspired me and allowed me to self-actualize in ways that I couldn't had I been encumbered with noise and all these other things going on. So um, music has always hit me and I, I played string bass in the orchestra in high school. Still an athlete now, not a total egghead, but <laughs> that's awesome. well, it's always hit me in a different way, man. Music is something that's critical to me. It, there is something about music, man. Yeah. Um, what is a daily practice that you must do every day? Um, give thanks mm. to everyone. This is the first thing I do in the morning. 
to mm-hmm. everyone who has touched me in a way that's allowed me to be who I am. That's my mom. That's my grandmother who's no longer alive. Even my dad, who I didn't I live with him for two weeks out of my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. He had his own set of problems. Um, but he also didn't force himself into my life knowing that he had these problems. Now, you can take that a number of different ways, right, Troy? Right. But the man knew who he was and what he was struggling with. So I have to thank him for that. And when he finally, quote unquote, got himself cleaned up, uh, he reached out and said, hey, the option is yours. I was 26 years old at the time. And I didn't respond to it. Um, so him. And then, you know, my close family and friends who continue to inspire me, et cetera. So every day I really think about those folks who are creating a, have created and create an environment for me to self-actualize. That's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. What's one question that you wish that I had asked that I didn't, and how would you answer it? Um... You know, the impact of sport on my life. Hmm. But because you asked such great questions, I really had to dig deep for that one, man. So that's a compliment compliment to you. Oh, man. Um, You you know, along with music, fortunately, I was always uh, inclined towards sport growing up. And not just mentally. I was, you know, actually fortunately talented. Hmm. And I remember, man, being in elementary school and I was raised in the South for my formative years. And we started playing tackle football in third grade, which is concussion city, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But my mom created an avenue for me to do that. Mm. So I would come home from school and Troy, I'd call her on the phone. She'd walk me through how to cook a meal and I'd cook it. And then my coach would come pick me up, go to football practice. I get home around 7.38. I see my mom for about an hour. Then I'm off to school the next day. Hmm. So she was critical in realizing that there was something around sport and leadership and accountability that I needed and that I learned to really embrace. So sport was really, really critical for me growing up and still is. I ended up working in sport for 20 years. Right. Yeah. I was not in sports and I wish that I was, and there's a whole reason why I wasn't, but the more, the older I get, the more value I see in what sports does for people. And um, it's a, it's a microcosm of life. Absolutely. Were you raised in Utah, Troy? I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does finding peace mean to you? Uh, removing fear as mm-hmm. best you can. Centering yourself around people who love themselves and you. Mm-hmm. And realizing that love, honestly, is nothing more than wanting what's best for someone. And that sounds simple. But when you really ask yourself the question, do I want what's best for this person? 
and you find yourself, eh, then you might not love yourself the way you think you do. Hmm. So um, focusing on those things, I think, is really, really important. Hmm. Amen, brother. Where can we find you, DJ? So um, TCV, the Conscious Five, tcvpodcast.com. That's Charles and I. Um, And there from the uh, portal, you can access us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, etc. Personally, I'm DJ The Doc on Instagram. I think that's awesome that you were DJ and now you are the DJ. Yeah, it's kind of smooth. But uh, DJ The Doc on on Instagram. Um, I don't have a lot of followers probably representative of how I approach life. I'm, I, I do my thing. And, well, you're um, going to have another one by the end of today. Oh, man. man, well, I appreciate that, as, as will you, as will you. So, yeah, tcvpodcast.com, DJ The Doc on Instagram, and on LinkedIn, Dr. Daryl L. Jones, Dr. D-A-R-Y-L, middle initial L, Jones. I am active on LinkedIn uh, mm-hmm. quite Thank you for taking your time with me today, man. Yeah, Troy, I'll tell you what, man. I, I had a chance to look at uh, a few of your episodes and um, really enjoyed them all, especially when we had with the filmmaker. Oh, and I, I tell you, man, you do a wonderful job and you're very disarming. And um, anything that, you know, Charles and I can do, uh, not that you need us at all, but, you know, we love to be around great people, man. So, um and would selfishly ask that you consider being uh, with us one day. I'd love to, dude. Okay, perfect. Absolutely. We're going to have you then. All right. Thank you so much, man. This, yeah. I was really excited when they when they sent the invite and there's two sports guys. I'm like, mm, I'm not all about that. But like I said, it's, uh, it's bigger than that. And yeah. I have thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with you today. Likewise, Troy. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy the heat out there. (laughs) (laughs) I will, man. You do the same. I'll send you the information on uh, Baldwin. Awesome. Thank you so much. You got it, brother. Have a wonderful day, brother. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.